0: Faxie's Musical Podcast In 1985, I was given a cassette copy of Marshall Crenshaw's third album, Downtown. I can't tell you how I got it. I can't tell you who gave it to me. I can't even tell you why I had it on a cassette. But I had it, and I loved it. All I knew about Marshall Crenshaw at the time was his 1982 hit single, Someday, Someway. And while I liked that song a lot at the time, it would be his later stuff that I would fall in love with. And totally by mistake. What I learned about Marshall Crenshaw at the time was that the album Downtown was seen as a departure from his previous two records. I didn't even know what that meant, because on that album you had great songs like... Little Wild One number 5, Blues is King, I'm Sorry But So Is Brenda Lee, and a bunch of others. And I love those songs. Now, because I have a sick record-buying compulsion, I quickly caught on to everything else released by Marshall Crenshaw. I bought those first two records, and I kept buying the ones he would release after that. And while some would wonder why Marshall Crenshaw didn't become a household name, I would argue that it would entirely depend on the house. In my house, Marshall Crenshaw was a household name with great records like Field Day, Mary Jane and Nine Others, Life's Too Short, Miracle of Science, number 447 plus a bunch of EPs, compilations and live albums. Each one of these records are totally great and each one of them deserve another round of consideration. Marshall Crenshaw is a singer, a songwriter, a wonderful guitar player, an actor and one of those guys that when you go back and you listen to his records you realize that you're listening to something really special. Marshall is about to re-release his 1999 album, number 447, in February. The new version includes two unreleased tracks, and it sounds amazing. So with that in mind, I am thrilled to finally get a chance to talk to a guy that I have completely enjoyed for the last 40 years. It's Marshall Crenshaw on Vaxi's Musical Podcast. Hey there, you are. How you doing, Marshall?
1: Doing reasonably well. How are you, man?
0: I'm doing really good. Hey, I, I got to tell you, I've uh, I've been on the Marshall Crenshaw bandwagon since pretty much the beginning. I remember hearing uh, you know the first record when I was in in high school and thinking, oh wow, what a what a great song that was. And of course, uh, being in high school, I couldn't afford to buy it, so it took a few years. A couple years later, somebody had given me like a cassette copy of the album Downtown, and I absolutely. Uh-huh fell in love with it. I remember reading you know, people saying, oh, it's such a departure from Marshall Crenshaw. I'm like, a departure from what? This is a great record. It's almost like the word departure sounds like a like a bad thing. You know, I didn't see it that way at all. So if if I've contributed in any way to a car payment or a decent meal for you, just know that it was my <laughs> my pleasure
1: to do it. Okay, great. <laughs> so, thank you for your interest.
0: I want to ask you about these, uh, these razor and tie reissues that have been coming out. I know you we released uh, miracle of science which i i love that record but now you're about to release uh, number four four seven that's about to come out what have what have you done differently to it from the original with this
1: one with number 447 um it's been remastered and that's pretty much about it i mean that was necessary because the albums have never been on vinyl before and uh greg calby the guy who mastered it the first time around did it again because he no longer had the uh masters that he created back in 1999 but Mm. i just handed handed him the original tapes again and off he went you know so that's about it there are some there are two bonus tracks on the album on the cd are the are these are
0: these new songs or are these old songs from you know back in those sessions
1: no, these are brand new recordings. The first ones uh, that I've done since 2016. And if you buy the vinyl of uh, number 447, you get a 45 inside that has the bonus tracks on. It.
0: So my understanding is that you had to obtain the ownership of these, of these records. There are five records with the with Razor and Tie. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean it was actually in the contract that I had with them that once a certain amount of time had passed that the recordings would revert to me, you know, from them to me. Yeah. And that's all that happened. It was, it was built into the contract. Cause I had a good lawyer at that time. who was <laughs> paying attention. I didn't, I didn't ask him to put that in, but he did. And yeah. So, you know,
0: Well, cause you, I mean, you always hear stories about, you know, how artists will sign a contract with a record company and, you know, for whatever reason, you know, they're not reading it. They don't get the help they need to understand what they're signing. The next thing you know, they're signing yeah. away the whole thing. So it's, it, it's nice to hear somebody retaining the rights to their music. That's, that's got that kind of has to put you in an enviable position.
1: I'm glad about it. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I have, I ha always had good lawyers back in the day and, uh, right this minute I control about half of my intellectual property from over the years.
0: That's about a hundred percent more than most people have. So that's, that's pretty good actually. Yeah. So I, I, the one of the things I've always found interesting about your career, Marshall, is it's it, it's always been kind of funny to me how people have been trying to to pin you down over the years to the point where you you can't find an interview or an article about March, Marshall Crenshaw that doesn't mention Buddy Holly or even John Lennon for that matter. And yet, when I hear your music, I hear a whole hell of a lot more than that than just Buddy Holly. In fact, it, it, it's interesting to me that even when you've done cover songs, you've been doing cover songs from, you know, pretty diverse sources. I mean, you know, Grant Hart from Husker Du, George Clinton, Richard Thompson. I mean, all these influences are, are there in your music and a lot more diverse than I think most people or most critics really give you credit for.
1: Uh, Could be. I mean, people just hear the stuff the way that they hear it, you know, like it's falls into the context of their own stuff that they know, you know, kind of, and you know. I think that's how it works. But, uh, I will say that, uh, anytime anyone mentions me in the same breath as Buddy Holly, it does make me happy.
0: But after a while, as a fan, I have to say, I mean, your career, while different than Buddy Holly's, obviously it, you know, it, to me, it stands on its own a- as well. And doesn't have to rely on the comparison.
1: Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. My stuff, You know, to quote to quote Elvis Presley, I think uh, when when uh, the secretary at Sun Records asked him who he sounded like, he said, I don't sound like nobody. (laughs) And you can take that two ways, you know, he's saying I don't sound specifically like anybody else. And I also don't sound like nobody, and so that's I will say that about about me. Yeah, I don't (laughs) don't sound like anybody else, and I don't sound like nobody either. That's it.
0: That's it. I mentioned you know the 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 first record, the first two records, really, because you know I think Field Day is another great a great record. the The trajectory that you had just leading up to that, I mean, you're 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 doing stage work with with Beatlemania, and you're doing that for a couple years, then all of a sudden you know you start working on your your own music after you get off the stage with the with that production what happened between beatlemania and that first record because that's a pretty oh between beatlemania and the first record yeah, yeah.
1: well we had like a we had a like a really spectacular kind of rise in new york city that period between beatlemania and my first album that might be my favorite chunk of time of the whole f- saga honestly it was just a gas to uh stick our foot out the door in new york city and just immediately have people embrace what we were doing and it was it was joyful you know yeah so that's i mean let me see we got to to the point really quickly where i had uh two of my songs being played on wnew which was kind of a you know what they would call a mainstream rock station at that time and this is before i'm signed to anybody well anyway uh you know it was robert gordon's version of someday some way was a big hit on N.E.W. and uh and then i put out a single alan Betrock had uh, was a kind of a mentor to me for a minute uh, a real uh important person in my life and he had a label called shake records And he released my first single, and that got on WNEW. So, back to back, I have two songs on the radio. So, that was kind of wild. And then, uh, you know, like the press is really on board with us, and every publisher in town and every agent in town is looking at us. And it was really fun and exciting, you know. And I loved the whole, you know, (laughs) that whole thing, that whole. Phase. So then we signed. We had two. Finally, we had two really good offers on the table, one from RCA and one from Warner Brothers. And so it was, you know, door number one or door number two.
0: That's kind of how i went. Yeah, and uh, it worked out pretty well up until it didn't. <laughs> Which is the way it always seems to work out Man. with contracts. But it's it's funny. In preparing for this, I actually listened to the the Robert Gordon version. Of uh, of someday some way you know from from uh, you know Robert Gordon from Tough Darts and you know as I'm hearing it you know I'm mean, it's a it's a song I love but it's it's different than your version and I found myself yeah. being like dude you're doing it all wrong <laughs> it's like as oh, good wow. as good as his version is it's like you know your version is like you know wearing a, a comfortable pair of shoes it's like you know that's the one it's that's the way it's supposed to sound when 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 you write songs and somebody you, you performs it. Uh, you know, in their way. And I know you've you've know, written songs, you know, with or for you, like Kirstie McCall and, and and the Gin Blossoms. When someone does your song, do you feel that way? Are you cool with the way they interpret your music? Or do you say, hey, wait a minute, you're doing – got to fix it.
1: I mean, it really varies. Uh, but I did like Robert's version of Someday, way. I mean, it really fits his personality and his character because right. he's just like right on top of the beat, boom, boom, boom. And that's <laughs> kind of the <laughs> – he's that's the that's him you know um and i mean he did it first right and uh his version actually was released as a single by rca and got up to somewhere like 19 like number 70 something on the billboard charts hmm. It was starting to climb the chart but then right the contract ran out stay at rca for another day to work the single and he said forget it and split so that was the end that was the end of that and uh then but then i i didn't want to do the song on my first album i thought well everybody's heard it already you know everybody knows robert gordon's version so that was uh, (laughs) but and then uh but then warner brothers insisted that i do it like they they didn't ask me they told me that i was gonna do it but I, I, now I look at that as an instance of somebody rescuing from rescuing me from my own stupidity, <laughs> you know, because I, I love the record that we made of it. Right. I, I mean, I really love it a lot, but it's a lot different from, you know, we're just kind of, it, it's, it's got a whole other groove to it than Robert Gordon.
0: You release it and you release the record and it becomes maybe like a like a surprise hit for a lot of people. It, like out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Marshall Crenshaw is a, a really big deal. Do you feel... At, at, at that young age you were prepared for the speed in which things were escalating because was it was not, it was pretty
1: quick no i was completely uh in over my head i i mean you know there was a really heavy hype surrounding our first album and uh i could have either said yes or no to that and i just thought well let me roll the dice and see what happens but you know for every hype there's a backlash so that wasn't a good choice and then uh as far as the song being a hit, I mean, hit, hit records never, ever happened by accident. So, uh, but I I didn't, you know, I wanted hit singles, but I didn't really know how hit singles happened. You know, I thought I knew, but I didn't. And I found that out pretty fast. So uh, no, I, was, I wasn't I was ready, uh, you know, like I didn't understand the business. I didn't, I didn't want to understand it. Yeah. I didn't want to take it. Uh, there was a part of me that didn't want to take it seriously. The business part of it so that wasn't so
0: smart <laughs> <laughs> was that just a matter of uh your youth and inexperience, or was that was there just were you just being rebellious about it
1: yeah it was I don't you know it's hard to remember anymore because that's a long time ago <laughs> and it was a you know kind of a young version of myself but uh I think it was supposed to be on principle partly but
0: uh you know who knows anymore right so right after that you you were kind of pushed into doing another album pretty quick, which is, even at that point, that's pretty unusual. It was like when, in just a few months and you're working on the next record.
1: It was a panic move. And uh, honestly, it was, you know. But uh, I got I got talked into it by the manager I had at the time. But I was okay with it, you know. I just thought, yeah, I'll make another record. It's fun to make records, so let's do it. And uh, it, we made a great one. You know, I mean, as far as I'm concerned,
0: I I thought Field Day was fantastic, and I, and, and you had Steve Lillywhite produce it, which I think is fantastic. A, a big XTC fan, and he he did that with uh, he worked with uh, you know Hugh Padgham, and you know just the drum sounds of, of Steve Lillywhite in his career, you know show up pretty strongly in uh, in that record. But you know, it's it, what's maddening for a fan is that album is almost impossible to find. It's like the one album in your in your uh, in your catalog, that's the 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 almost like the holy grail. It's almost hard to to, to find a copy of that.
1: Is it? I didn't know that.
0: If you look, uh, on, if you look at, for a CD version of it, it's really hard to find.
1: No kidding! Wow. Yeah. Well, there's there's good news about that though. I'll tell you why it's hard to find right now. I mean, if you're looking for a used copy and can't find one, I can't answer to that. But it's neither of neither. A, or maybe not any of my Warner Brothers albums right now are on any of the digital platforms. And that's because I reclaimed the U S copyrights to the recordings. And so they're, they're going to be reissued. Yeah. Right? We just, it hasn't happened yet. The, the first album, there's going to be a 40th anniversary reissue of my first album. And it comes out, comes out in November on record store day next November. And then the following year, there'll be a 40th anniversary re-release of field day. And it's, they're both going to be really, really nice. Yeah. I already, the first one's already ready to go. And this, and field day is going to be nice too. It's maybe a drag, but it's, you know, it's going to have a good payoff.
0: (laughs) I'm excited that both will get like a, a, a reissue. But on the other hand, I'm furious that we're talking about something 40 years ago. That's
1: well, to stand by.
0: I will. I've talked to a lot of, you know, songwriters over the, the years and, and it's, I want to ask you about it too because everyone's process is, is different but it also sounds like a lot of songwriters kind of also say that writing songs is like an inconvenient compulsion. It's like, you know, when they're trying to write a song, it's hard to write a song. It's almost as if you don't get a chance to find the song and it's almost like the song finds you. And it is, is your process of writing music like that or do you need like a certain environment or a certain you know a uh, set of things that need to happen first before you can actually sit down and come up with something
1: it's you know there have been times when I've had the feeling that and rather than trying to write the song I'm trying to remember it right. like it, like like I'm trying to look into the future and, and pull it out of the future you know it <laughs> feels like that It's felt like that in certain instances, but, uh, I don't know. It's very, it's mysterious, but, uh, I don't know why I can do it, but I can A mental quirk or something.
0: I know uh, I, I did an interview not that long ago with a guy who said, it's like, you know, there, there are times I need to do things in my life, like really important things, like stuff I have to do like right now. And then all of a sudden I'll walk past my guitar and the guitar starts speaking to me. And, and, and it's like, Nope, I got everything's got to put be put on hold. I've got a song in here somewhere, and I've got to get it out.
1: I can dig it, you know. I do get completely absorbed in it when I'm doing it. I'm just like I'm gone, you know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, you can't be like that 365 days a year. What kind of life would you have? But yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, I mean, I I love that I can do it. I don't know why I can, but it's
0: great. Do lyrics come as easy for you?
1: Yeah, and that I think is not not necessarily like universal, but I mean, I, I read that it would take uh, maybe a composer like George Gershwin, you know, he could sit down and bang out a pop tune off the top of his head. And then his brother Ira would maybe take it like a month struggling trying to <laughs> fit words to the melody. You know, that that's kind of how it is with a lot of people. But, you know, I'm I'm like a guitar player and a composer first. And then the words come later. They're very important. You know, like they're critical. And I was, but I sweat over those in a, in a way that I don't really sweat with them. I don't sweat when I'm writing the music. I know I'm going to be able to do it.
0: Well, I mean, the, the good news is, I mean, your lyrics don't come across like they're bad lyrics at all. They're actually good lyrics. But, you know, when you do hear a song, when you, when you hear a song with shitty lyrics, it's like it's it stands out like a sore It's Like, man, that would be a great song if the lyrics weren't such garbage.
1: I feel the same. It's, yeah. it's like you can't. You can't. If you mess that up, then the, then the song is is ruined. You know, you might have a really nice piece of music. This has happened to me more times than I want to talk about. But where I've had a really a piece of music that I thought was really nice, and then I just blew it with the lyrics. In my opinion, yeah. I'm not going to name them because I might accidentally name somebody's favorite song. You know, <laughs> I'm very self-critical, and uh, you know, people that love my records, I. Thank God that they love them, and I don't want to say, well, that one I, I blah blah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. I'm not going to put any bad thoughts in anybody's mind, but I
0: I know in the in the in the past couple of years you've you've kind of walked away from making full albums of of new music and have kind of taken a more like a singles approach with you know the 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 EP records and and even as you're talking about these reissues putting new songs in, into that format. I mean, is is that how you see things? going forward with you just to continue to to add new music to older products or 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 do you see yourself getting to the point where you will make another new record soon
1: uh i don't have any plans to make an album anytime soon but you know i don't want to rule out anything i i I did these two tracks for uh for 447 and like i said before it it, it had been a really long time or a, a few years since you know i'd done it and i mean it was really it was joyful i realized how, how much i love it i don't know how good i am at it <laughs> but uh you know it does it brings me joy to do it so i i mean one of these days i'll get around to it you know i don't know if i'll make albums but i could make eps again yeah that was really fun i did it during from 2013 to 2016 <clears throat> my recording project that i had was a series of EPs, and I re- I dug that, you know, because uh, I set a timetable for them that one a new one would come out every six months, and so then that meant that there was always something new on the way or new just out.
0: But you did stop doing that. Was there a, a reason to stop it, or were you just at that point, or was it just kind of like a played-out idea?
1: Well, it was proscribed that it was going to be six over the course of three years. That's, right. you know, that's the cycle ended, right? Right cycles end right so that's that, that's all it was it's just time to stop doing that
0: i was talking to a friend of mine uh, this afternoon that uh, you know, i was going to be talking to you he was he was incredibly excited about it because he's seen you play out here in massachusetts a few times and, and he, he he loves seeing you live i've seen you live too but it was you know many many years ago and it was great but you've you've released seven live albums and the thing that I've, I love about the live albums is I think you've, like the new, the, the latest one, The Wild and Exciting Sounds of Marshall Crenshaw is awesome. But I, yeah. I but I also think you are responsible for what I think is maybe the single greatest title of an album I've ever heard. And that is, uh, I've suffered from my art and now it's your turn. I think that is, it, it, does, it almost doesn't matter how good the record is. That alone sells the record for me.
1: Oh, great. I mean, <laughs> I don't believe that I invented that. I think that I heard, Maybe like Henny Youngman on the Ed Sullivan show or something, you know. He's about to play his violin and he goes, I've suffered from my art. Now it's your turn. <laughs> you know, it's just a thing, you know, that I got somewhere. I don't know where, but I do. I, yeah, when I thought of it as the album title, I thought, oh my God, that's a good one because it's hard to think of an album title. I mean, number 447 is me not being able to think of an album title and just putting a number on it as a joke you
0: know? <laughs> kind of like a like a like a chicago record yeah you know, you've made 447 records thought, yeah. Thought,
1: yeah yeah uh, chicago 42 or whatever it is you know <laughs> uh, and then i thought uh, how many records have i made 447
0: we we talked a little bit about uh steve Lillywhite, but you've also talked uh, you worked with like t-bone burnett and don dixon and you know Ed Stasium and, and, and a few others, and then you started to produce music yourself. Is is that challenging for you to do? I mean, is it is it the kind of role that's that was like an easy transition for you, or or is it just a, a challenge to take on that much responsibility?
1: No, it was cool. I mean, when I first started recording, I don't know if you have this album or not, but there's one of mine called the Nine Volt Years. Yes. That was one of the Razor and Tie albums. And it's all home recordings that I did of uh, various things, but the, it's heavy on stuff from the very beginning of when I was writing my own songs and trying to develop my own sound and stuff, you know. And uh, I still love those recordings. You know, I was like, I was, you know, just like autonomous, auteur kind of, <laughs> character in there with my four track tape machine and my cheap microphones you know so uh when i was not in the major label world anymore i just kind of went back to that mode of being a uh solitary genius tour <laughs> <laughs> so it was fine you know i, I mean I, and plus you know like you said by by the time i did uh the reason retire records i worked with a bunch of producers and Figure if I didn't learn anything during that time, that that would be kind of weird. Yeah, you know, man, I was ready to I was ready to do it, and glad to be able to do it. You
0: know, there's a song from one of those sessions that you you, you brought up the nine volt that, that that to me is like one of my favorite songs by you. It's something's got to happen, and I know it's it's like one of your earlier songs, but I just I just love that song. And the version that shows up on the 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 best of this is easy. Uh, yeah, I, is I think is just a great great song.
1: That's the Alan Bedrock version the shake records the the one that got on the radio in new york city and helped us get to where we got to so yeah i like that too but it's really just and i mean alan meant for it to be this way it's it's like a note for note copy of the version that i did at home that the one that's on the nine volt years yeah you know i just was really on in a a zone during during those pre-warner brothers times you know
0: So what about, you know, performing now? Obviously the COVID has really screwed up everyone's plans for performing and it's, it's, it's hard to get concert halls and, and, and book those places. Where, where do you stand on any of that right now? Or what are you, what are you looking at? Well,
1: you know, starting in June of last year, I played straight through to the end of the year, you know, I had like, I don't know, 25 shows between June and December of, uh, 2021. And, uh. And then I had two shows this month, but they got postponed. And I'll tell you something, it like really rattled me because any suggestion of a possible replay of 2020 is like, <laughs> no, you know, I mean, I really didn't like it at all that it, that the dates got postponed. But I have some shows in February that are still on the calendar. Nobody's Nobody's saying let's move those and don't you know because I don't, I don't want to hear about it uh, <laughs> you know I mean I'm, I' got, I've got my two vaccines and a booster and if I if I catch anything it's like that's it's just life but uh, I'm going with the flow, you know I got to follow the social norms and the rules and that's that's cool but you know I, I, I think that uh, there'll be shows this year yeah. uh, I mean there already there already are some I got stuff in February and in March too. And the and the shows that were supposed to happen this
0: month got moved to April. So I think they'll all happen. I've been to I've been to, to two shows in the last uh, six months. One was at a, a concert hall in Fall River, Massachusetts, and it was really interesting. You know, they were requiring everyone to bring their vaccination card, and not of uh, like yeah. a not like a photo copy of it on your phone, but the actual hard cardboard copy of your vaccination card. Oh. Other, other than that, wow. then yeah. you're you're on the streets. I you said just a, a couple of shows, but everything is pretty close to like your home now you're not going too far out
1: well last year i traveled a lot you know i was on a lot of airplanes and stuff in and out of airports i mean some of that is with the smithereens i don't know if you know about that yeah i did yeah okay i mean i went to mexico with them so i mean that's not pretty that's not i've never been there before but uh I mostly do play in the Northeast, but not, you know, strictly. How
0: how was uh, how was that performing with the with the Smithereens? I, that's another band I absolutely love. Uh huh.
1: Oh, no, it's tons of fun, really. You know, just like a like a day at the beach kind of. You know, nothing nothing is my responsibility, and it's <laughs> I like them a lot as people, and uh it's all good. You know. It's
0: it's really fun. You know, we, we we mentioned uh, influences, uh, you know, before, and and I knew you grew up outside of Detroit at at a time when things were where Detroit was like a, the hub of music in America. Everything from you know Motown to the Stooges to the MC Five. As a kid growing up a, a, around that time, how influential was all of that to you? The, the I mean, the, the music of that city.
1: Well, that was it. Was everything you know like everything i know about popular music i learned well anyway for the first 23 years of my life i learned it all from detroit radio and but yeah the musical legacy of the city and region of detroit is is vast and monumental (laughs) and uh diverse too and uh there was a book that came out i think last year or maybe the year before A big huge 700 page book about a a detroit record label called fortune records Mm. and i read it and uh and then just started back at the beginning and read it again i mean i just wanted to climb into this book and live there yeah and i realized you know when i read it that i just there's this whole world that i missed in the city of detroit i was too young to know about it and be. uh there you know on the ground but uh don't get me started talking about detroit music because uh, you know <laughs> I really, like i just i really love it
0: one of the, the other things that i wanted to mention is that you've uh you've played with some pretty amazing musicians too kenny aronoff i've spoken to uh you know on this podcast he, he's originally from uh you know western massachusetts where where i'm from oh yeah and uh that you know he's a great drummer and jesus can that guy talk uh, <laughs> uh, yeah 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 he was fun but you know one of the, the, the guy that i really wanted to ask you about and i think he's like one of the the more unsung geniuses out there is maybe graham graham maybe uh who's you know played with joe oh, jackson sure. for years but he's maybe like one of the most underrated bass players in the world i think he's just phenomenal
1: he's yeah he's really cool and uh we're friends good friends i would say uh you know i met him back in uh 1982 when i did some tour dates with with joe jackson and uh and he and i he and i just like hit it off yeah you know right right then and there and uh i mean he's like a really you know like a warm person you know he's really good friends with other members of my family besides me and uh yeah he's he's a real uh somebody i'm really glad to know yeah and it's great to play with him he knows all my stuff and, uh, just like really solid all the time. Like I sometimes joke and call him my musical director
0: <laughs> when I'm on stage
1: with him. but you no, know, he's you know, Graham is the greatest.
0: That's great. But,
1: but like you said before, like a really wide range of great people. And, and I'm, you know, I, pre- I appreciate that. I'm conscious of it. I'm appreciative about it.
0: Yeah. But you, I mean, you've also done a bunch of, are, are these the shows that are coming up are these solo shows or are these with a band?
1: No, I don't want to play solo anymore, anytime soon. I always want to at least have a percussionist with me. And uh, on the shows I have uh, in February, it's going to be Manuel Quintana on percussion. And then the bass player was supposed to be Graham, maybe, but he hurt his wrist playing tennis. I mean, who does that, right? At his age? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he hurt himself. And so Tony Gagne is going to play. And that's that's another one of the best bass players in the world, Tony Gagne i've known him i've known him longer than i've known graham wow so is the is is the dog okay i let him out yeah (laughs) he wants to get out there and uh yeah yeah. he likes the he likes the winter time he does what's wrong with that yeah yeah
0: (laughs) well uh marshall it's really a a a pleasure to talk to you like i said i've I've been a, a fan for an awful long time I hope that you know there is new music and a lot of it coming uh, in the future because uh, every record has got something really special to it.
1: well, there's new there's new music. there's uh, Will of the Wind and Santa Fe the uh, my new single, which is a, also bonus tracks on the four hundred forty seventh thing. But anyway, thank you for your enthusiasm and uh, <laughs> it's great to talk to you, Michael.
0: We appreciate it, Marshall. Thank you very much. Again, the re-release of Marshall Crenshaw's 1999 album, number 447, is set to be released this February, and I hope you enjoy it. I also hope you enjoyed the show. Feel free to like it, share it, review it, tell all your friends about it. You can reach me at backsofrock 102com I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.